Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. This week, it's our annual year-end roundtable with some writers and beer professionals to toast the end of 2021 and to look forward to the new year. I'm joined by Christopher Shepard of Craft Brew News, freelance writer Carla Jean Ladder, Matt Kierkegaard, the founder and editor of Australian Brew News, and Andy Crouch, the publisher of Beer Edge. What will the year be remembered for? Each is going to share their own thoughts coming up. But first, we're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to these advertisers. Athletic Brewing Company's innovative process allows them to brew great-tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. Now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. New customers can also get 10% off of their entire order with code BEEREDGE10. Limit one per customer. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. For the second year in a row, as we end a year amid a pandemic, innovation in the beer space, and uncertainty, I wanted to gather some friends and some fellow writers to talk about the year that was. Since once again, we can't be together in person, I thought this could be a good format to bring together some of my favorite people. They are Christopher Shepard. He is the senior editor of Craft Brew News, which is published by Beer Marketers Insights. Carlo Jean Ladder is a freelance writer. Matt Kierkegaard is the founder and editor of Australia Brews News. And Andy Crouch, he's my business partner and the publisher of Beer Edge, as well as the host of the Beer Edge podcast. We had hoped to have Melissa Cole back with us this year, but she was unable to make it. Still, she has a new book out. It's called The Ultimate Book of Craft Beer, and I encourage you to go find it and buy a copy wherever books are sold. So with the assembled, I wanted to talk a little business, have a little fun, and generally see where their heads were as this year comes to a close. So get a beer, get comfortable, and let's have some fun. Shep spoke to me from New York, Carla was in Maine, Andy's in Massachusetts, and the hero of our show, Matt, set an alarm to be up with us in Brisbane at 2 a.m. Here's our conversation. Carla, I want to start with you. When the last day of 2021 comes and goes and we're in a new year, what do you think the previous 365 days in beer are going to be best remembered for? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I think it's going to be slowing down the alcohol. I think it's going to be the, the fact that we're going into the session beers and now actually decent tasting non-alcoholic ones. I think this is the year where we turn the corner on that not tasting gross. <laughs> so. What do you specifically point to like that you had this year that makes you say that? Um, well, in addition to probably the most well-known um non-alcoholic beer is uh, nationally distributed as athletic brewing. And I know that there's been a lot of praise out there for that, but we have now um, people who are uh, leave uh, from several main breweries, including Austin street uh, that are coming together to make their own craft 
NA brewery in Maine, the first one ever. Yep. And we have three other breweries that are also making non-alcoholic beers as part of their lineup in Maine. And the one that's headed by the Austin Street folks is just stellar. It's absolutely fantastic. And I can't wait for that to just kind of be in rotation with everything else. Um, there's just so much going on in the let's pump as many flavors in in as possible that people are also, I think, we're going to be in that pen- pendulum of taking a break. Um, in my mind, anyway. <laughs> but there's a lot moving in that category um, uh, just in, in Maine and nationally now. And I think that that's something that's not going to go away. I think there's a that's big sober curious movement. I think there's a big, um, you know, take a break for a couple of weeks, a dry week, a dry month. Um, where that's uh, going to be a part of the industry now. Shep, you follow the numbers. Does Do those bear out to what Carla's saying? Heck yeah, they do. Um, yeah, I was going to, I was going to jump in if you didn't ask me directly to say that I totally agree. Um, one that comes from a personal place. I am currently drinking a non-alcoholic beer uh, at this very moment. Uh, and Which I one? Love, uh, so this is the dogfish head. Um the um uh lemon squeeze lemon quest oh lemon yeah. quest yeah um which i happen to like i think boston beer um clearly took their time and and came up with a couple of really good options the sam adams just the haze uh, i hear repeatedly and i i also agree is pretty fantastic option but there but there are more and more and more and there are more coming um i've heard from a couple of brewers uh, in the last six months or so, uh, m- mostly craft brewers, uh, pretty sizable ones that are working on options. Um, and so I, I think this is just getting started. I totally agree, Carla. Uh, I think in the craft space, in the off-premise tract, uh, scan data, uh, non-alcoholic craft is, you know, it's over one share of craft dollars. It's getting close to two during recent periods, which is a, a big change from a year ago. Uh, a lot of that's athletic, uh, Lagunitas, IPNA. Um, but in the in the broader beer category, it's happening as well. Heineken 00 uh, yeah. took over as the top national yeah. non-alcoholic beer this year. Um, Bud Zero is is coming up. Oduls is going away. Uh, and like completely? Uh, not completely, but it's it's fading very quickly in comparison okay. to um, Heineken Zero Zero and Bud Zero Zero. Uh, sorry, Bud Zero. Um, it's you know p- people are just figuring out that it's it's you know it's worth taking a, a break or a pause, and it's a great way when they when they taste so good, it's easy to mix in. Right. Um, the way the way that I explain it, it was actually one of the one of the guys from. Um, Oh, which company was it? Uh, one of the non-alcohol, uh, non-alcohol-focused um, brewers told me at a GABF a couple of years ago. He's his line is, "I'm your best third beer," um, and it's the one that I repeat all the time. It's it's how I think about it and how I use it. You know, instead of having that third beer, do I do I really need that third beer? Um, yeah, and uh, cool. most like of the time that. I don't. Yeah. Matt, what's been the non-alcoholic situation in Australia? It's funny to I've been listening to how comparatively bullish um, you guys are about it because we have seen so much mainstream media attention given to, to non-alc. And it's to me, it seems like a man bites dog story where the media is focused on it. 
we have seen some uh, breweries really play into the market. But outside of that third beer scenario where, you know, we are seeing people go to the pub, they don't want to have to explain why they're not drinking or, you know, be mm. seen having the non-beer in their hand and it's almost masking their reduced alcohol, which is one use case. But there has been so much mainstream media attention for it that the growth doesn't, to me, bear out that there's more than a trial phase going on. It doesn't seem to be a huge uptake. Um, and I probably need to say in Australia, we've got one of the largest, what we call mid-strength, 3.5% ABV uh, mm. markets in the world. Um, mm -hmm. I think 20% of our beer market is around that 3.5% or one standard drink per right. serve. Interesting. Um, and that's why so many of the international uh, mainstream uh, brands trial their mid-strength uh, beers in Australia because there's a ready-made acceptance for it. And I, I, I think that is, you know, makes it a little bit easier because we have a lower alcohol culture um, and have for 30 years. Um, but the other, the thing that I really struggle with fully understanding is I speak to so many people that when they have their first beer, you know, and sometimes it's sort of when you pour your parents' beer or and you, you sip it and you don't like it. And there's that bitterness aspect that beer has always had that is an acquired taste. And in, you know, late teens, as it is in Australia, when you can drink at 18 or early 20s, it's the alcohol that makes you want to acquire the taste for beer. And I'm trying to work out what is going to be the reason that this sober, curious, you know, under 25 age group drives them to develop that taste for beer, given that there's no alcohol, because it's just essentially a drink that they're having, not as a replacement for something, but how will they acquire that initial taste for beer when it's alcohol free? Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I, look, it's fascinating. It's early days for alcohol-free beer in Australia, but I'm really standing back and asking some questions um, yeah. of the brewers who are making it. And I'm not, other than, oh, people are really excited, people are abstaining, I'm not hearing a lot of that next-level thinking about it. Um, actually, with one, uh, with one exception, there's a, uh, a brand called Sober, which is spelt S-O-B-A-H, um, which is run by <laughs> straight uh, out of Boston. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, this is actually a first nations, um, uh, brewing company and it's, a uh, a young, uh, indigenous, uh, fellow and his wife who he wanted to get off the, the, the beers. He wanted to, uh, uh, get off it. And so he's making what he calls an alternative adult beverage, but using a lot of Australian indigenous ingredients in it. So whilst it is alcohol free and they're playing in that space, the brand isn't a recognized beer brand. And they also have this whole indigenous element and then native, you know, like pepperberry and uh, um, you know, Australian indigenous fruits and flavors going into it that gives it this whole other dimension beyond the alcohol-free. And that's one that listening to their level of insight into it, I sort of think actually there is something here that's a brand beyond beer. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I'm wondering, I'm thinking about the age demographics of the beer drinkers in the U.S. and that maybe our, you know, drive towards NA is first because we haven't had that kind of 3.5% that category for, you know, the half strength or whatnot beers is just not there. Uh, and second, though, that the the people who came in hard and fast, you know, in their 20s with craft beer as it was booming in the U.S. are now uh, my age and, you know, Gen mm. Xers and, and Xennials, right? So yep. we're getting to the point where we can't drink as much or shouldn't probably drink as much as we yep. did in the early days of craft, but we're still a big chunk of the craft beer drinking market uh, demographics wise. So maybe we're a little bit more um, excited about this trend because it appear, appeals to our lifestyle level, but that is a big, begs a huge question about, okay, so what is going to bring the 21 year olds into beer and is, is it going to be beer traditionally, or is it going to be the hard seltzers and the fruited stuff and the things yeah. that taste nothing like beer. So, it, but it's, I think that putting that in perspective is that, you know, our craft beer, you know, revolution is relatively young and a lot of us got started in it in our twenties ish, you know, kind of following that. And now we're all <laughs> aging and going, maybe I, that maybe this will be my best third beer. You know, <laughs> like I yeah. like that. <laughs> Um, I think that that describes me to a T basically yeah. Yeah. as Carl was saying, that's, that's what I want. And I've been drinking low ABV, you know, I've been a big lager person for quite some time. Uh, and you know, low ABV is a huge part of that. And when I'm looking at a menu, you know, a draft menu, when I'm going out, uh, which is not all that often, but it, you know, it happens from time to time here, I'm always, you know, searching for the lowest end of that, uh, ABV, you know, lineup, because, you know, for me, oftentimes I'm driving. Uh, or I'm only planning to have, you know, one or two. Uh, I had a, I had a, at some point had a chance to just have one before, uh, you know, I played a ridiculous sport called broom ball on the weekends. It's a little bit like <laughs> hockey. We don't need to get into it. You can just look it up on. Yeah. We're not, we're uh, not going to get into yeah, it. It's, we should do a whole segment, <laughs> but we, we won't. But, uh, but I, I found myself with only an opportunity to have one. You know, usually I go out and have a couple with, with the folks before or after, and I only had a chance for one. So I said, I'm actually unrestricted here for the first time in a very long time. So I had a 7%, uh, you know, main lunch. IPA and, and I really enjoyed it. It was great. But for me, you know, and, and that may seem a little wild. I love the idea of the the third beer. I love the idea, you know, which for me, frankly, might be a second beer sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this year we had a chance to go to just you know, basically one holiday party and I was a little bit surprised. It was kind of a corporate environment, but they had an athletic uh, NA offering and I thought that was awesome. And I indeed used that for my second beer. Um, I think, you know, too much and for too long, NA beer was overlooked and it was just the sort of thing like, well, you're just lucky we're even making something, you know, for, for you people who aren't <laughs> drinking. So well, we don't care if it tastes, you know, like, like complete crap, you know, drink it and, and just be happy with duels. Um, but uh, instead, you know, we're now getting some of these beer and, you know, some of the early craft style offerings have, you know, we're not, we're not great. They had a kind of an off taste to it or just this under fermented quality. But I think with a you know the right amount of hopping, or as Matt's noting, you know, use of creative ingredients, you're not you're no longer restricted even by you know the very few limitations that are on actual you know alcohol based beer. You can kind of brew with anything, and it can kind of taste like anything. And I am willing to let it be about as wild as possible. But frankly, just dry hopping these beers, you know, Athletic did it with. Um, one of their beers that I thought was fantastic. It was the Freeway Double Hop IPA. It's a great beer. It's a beer that you, you know, unless you were really looking for it, wouldn't know that it was NA 
And, you know, I'm now trying to keep some NA beer in my house. It goes along with a lot of other beer, but I, I love the trend. But whether it's just built for me or people like me, it's a great question. Yeah, I agree, Matt. That's a really good line of questioning on those sort of early drinkers, um, especially especially in Australia where you are. In the U.S., the, the uh, entry-level drinkers have shifted really hard to spirits. Um, in mm. recent years, it's it's a sort of oft-cited example of a major challenge that beer has. And honestly, one of the major answers, as you hinted to, Carla, is hard seltzer um, and the quote-unquote beyond beer uh, beverages. Um, hard seltzer, hard tea, hard lemonade, et cetera, which is, you know, we're only going to be seeing more of uh, in the coming years. Um, I think there are very real questions about how you uh, convince a hard seltzer drinker to enjoy beer. Uh, and I think that there are questions that, that folk, you know, big players in the category are going to need to try to come up with answers to, uh, it seems to me, uh, as a beer lover. But uh, it is, right, the way that they look at it is making a malt-based hard seltzer uh, is a way to, if, if that entry-level drinker is interested in spirits or interested in a, a sort of cocktail, vodka, soda, gin and tonic, et cetera. Hard seltzer is a way to convince them to sort of move into a brewer's product uh, since it's mostly brewers who are making them. Um, but again, you know, how you go from there to, you know, e even a Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light, uh, you know, the, the classic premium light lagers, um, let, let alone uh, craft beers, I think is a, is a, challenge we've covered a lot of that um <laughs> no 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 <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't i i i'm pleasantly surprised at, at at how deep we've gone on this um and and i i think we could keep going but i'm you know i i wanted to get back to that to that to that first question now that we've, we've been talking about non-alcoholic um Andy, when the year is done, what do you think 2021 will be best remembered for beer wise? I think in a word, perseverance. Uh, we started, we started, you know, or went into the pandemic with just some really sober eyed, uh, you know, prognostication about what was to come uh, when we were facing the unknown. We were talking about the possibility of maybe a third or 40% of breweries and restaurants and bars and, and brew pubs closing. And we have certainly seen an absolutely astronomical number. And, you know, the government needs to do a much better job of assisting uh, those who, who really took it on the chin for us in the earlier parts of, of the pandemic by, you know, closing up shop at times when they maybe weren't required to, or, or really just trying to work through the most difficult and ever changing of regulatory environments, you know, whether or not, you know, there, and then having to be the mask police as well. I just was in New York this past weekend and, and those frontline, um, you know, workers in, in, uh, in the trade are just having to do and, and things that they were never meant to have to do. And so, you know, brewery owners, people who run tap rooms, uh, you know, bars and restaurants, they have had to pivot and pivot and pivot again. And they have, you know, all of us have experienced ups and downs, you know, whether you have, you know, kids or, or a job that makes it particularly difficult um, during this during this time. But if you're 
in the trade, just not knowing week to week whether you're going to survive and having to do all of this and take care of your staff and keep people safe, but balance that against the need to also be open and provide a decent consumer experience, that's perseverance. Uh, these folks, you know, my hat's off to every last one of them, and we are certainly far from the finish line here, but they have just done, they have done the absolute Lord's work in absolutely terrible circumstances. Um, and that's why as best I can, you continue to get out there and 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 visit them and tip well uh, and promote them all we can. But really, for me, this is the year of just trying to to stabilize and 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 get on our feet with the possibility that things may improve in the year and years to come. Matt, has it been a similar situation in Australia? It has. We've been very segmented. So in in Australia, the state borders are a little bit more. Um, defined uh, because state governments are willing to exercise their own uh, you know, responsibilities. So, for example, we had a major outbreak in Victoria, um, and so Victoria was kind of walled off from most of the rest of the country. And Western Australia, which is a bit of a frontier state um, as it is, has basically kept its borders shut to anybody um, if there's any COVID going around. Um, and Queensland, where I am, We've been largely open. We've had mask mandates. We've had to check in to, to venues, but we've been able to function pretty well um, for, for, for most of this year. Um, but there's that constant uncertainty where suddenly you'll have a small outbreak and um, we'll go into a brief lockdown just to, to, to try and control it. So it's been a really tough time for hospitality because it's very hard to do any of that long-term planning, never quite knowing when there's going to be a uh, a brief lockdown. Um, but apart from that, uh, you know, it's just a general uncertainty that has been really playing hard on businesses and breweries. Um, but by and large, breweries seem to have done pretty well um, if on-premise has not been available to them, people have shifted their purchasing to uh, packaged. So it... it Breweries here seem to have gotten through, by and large, pretty well. Um, and it, it's actually created some challenges for breweries as on-premise opens up again. Uh, they've diverted a lot of their uh, production to package and then suddenly, and, and that's stuck post-open, but then they're finding they're a little bit in short supply once kegs start rolling out again. And uh, we, we've actually seen a number of breweries expand on the back of that. Um so I'm really looking ahead to 2022 and wondering whether there will be a snapback and breweries that have expanded on the basis of this short-term sugar rush of sales might find that it's a little bit more challenging for them. Carla, in 2020, uh, your state had a, at least one brewer, maybe a couple that were defying uh, yeah. mandates and sort of just not uh, necessarily caring about other people. Um, when you look at Maine as a whole for this last year, has it been a story of perseverance? Has it been um, a story of growth for some and not for others? What's, um, what's the think, scene on the ground? Yeah, I think it's been definitely a combination. In the beginning of all of this, in the 2020, coming into that first summer of the pandemic, I was petrified that we were just going to lose so many breweries because Maine is a very tourist heavy state. So we get way more, um, you know, visitors to the state in the summer, no matter where you're at. 
And they really rely on that summer, you know, buoy of, of uh, people to get into the black every year. Like that's just the nature of being a business in Maine, essentially, especially one like a brewery that has some kind of a tasting room or something like that. So I was terrified really for them that in, in that summer that without that revenue or with a significant decrease in that revenue, nobody was going to make it through the next winter. Um, what turned out to happen was that people were very resourceful. They, you know, immediately set up outdoor spaces when they were allowed to. Some of them also, you know, extended that into winter. So we were literally huddling around, uh, you know, fireplaces in the winter to help them scrape by. But what really helped us is that our governor um, really worked with us to get these um, paycheck protection loans um, out and like prioritized industries like breweries and whatnot to, and the service and the restaurant industries to get those out there so that they could have that stopgap. And I think that a lot of that support helped them to make it through that first year so they could plan better for the following year. Um, and it, and this following year, there's been far fewer restrictions in the summer. Um, you know, so we've got been able to get a little bit back to that level of um, that level of uh, business for a lot of folks. And some of them did pivot. Some of them did more canning. Some of them did more things that I think it's rather than resilience is kind of being able to adapt on the fly. If you, if you had some leeway to change what you were doing, or if you had some ability to, to pivot, um, you could make it. And that being said, we lost uh, after that, that very first, um, kind of winter, we lost four breweries of the 160 something that we had. And two of them were for reasons that were completely pandemic, not related. Um, one, uh, one of the founders passed away and another, um, they dissolved a partnership because they were not getting along. It had nothing to do with the pandemic. Um, <laughs> uh, and then two of them were generally like, we can't do this. I have seen now, right now, this time of year, another little spattering of closings. And I think these are the ones that they limped along, limped along, limped along. And now they're looking at the next winter going, we can't do this. So we're, we're feeling a little bit of that pinch. Nobody, um, you know, nobody that really distributes out of state or that's big that most of these listeners would know, you know, but they're, you know, the local ones, you know, some of the ones that set up in a small town or, you know, kind of came on the scene around like, you know, 2016, 17 you know, never really got a chance to get their feet underneath them for very long before all this happened. Yeah. So it's, um, so it's better than I expected it to be, but there's still, you know, some losses in there. I think it's really though, it really did depend on where they were set up before all this happened. <laughs> like if they just put tons of money into an expansion or went into a ton of debt before all this happened, you don't have the resources to to change yourself or order, you know, tons of gas heaters and picnic tables and, and figure everything out. Um, you know, whereas if you had more cash on hand, you had a little bit of a more of ability to do that. But I've been in general, very impressed with what they've, how resourceful they've been, but also how, how supportive our state has been for them. Yeah. And I would say that the one guy who defied everything, one or two, uh, were definitely the exception. And in fact, the whole beer industry was very angry at them for, becoming the national news story when all, you know, 180 of the rest of them were all doing everything right. <laughs> so, um, so it's, uh, and that, uh, and that one particular brewery has completely changed ownerships now. So the uh, offending guy is, is no longer and anywhere near it. 
So. Yeah. As we do get to the end of the year, people start looking at their books and trying to yeah. figure out if they can make a go of it for, for the next year. And you know, this is normally uh, about when you start to hear from folks saying, hey, it's been a great run. Um, and, and this happened even pre-pandemic as well. Um, you know, People don't necessarily want to carry yeah, a business true. over to the new year if they can't. Um, Shep, as you've been you know, Carla talked about a few that are that are closing uh, in in her state. But have you been hearing other about other brewery closings or things sort of on par with what it's been in years past? We continue to be amazed at how few of those stories come up. Uh, at the same time, we have seen so many more stories about openings and expansions. Um, it's in the last couple of weeks in particular. Now, you know, there's always a bit of sort of, you know, uh, you could call it selection bias where like the media doesn't cover closings as much. Typically uh, that can happen a lot quieter um, as, as breweries sort of decide to just sort of shut down uh, silently rather than, you know, blast it out to everybody. Um um, rather than expansions or, or openings, which are typically promoted a little bit more. Um, yeah. Well, you celebrate the good. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, even even the national numbers that were reported this week from the Brewers Association about openings and closings, you know, it's still really the same, um, which is remarkable. Now, you know, that being said, I do kind of expect some of those same folks that, that you folks are talking about were, you know, looking at winter, you know, they were able to slog through and get through uh, largely because of the assistance that was offered. Um, but, you know, that that got them through some of this year. Um, and if they didn't have a great summer uh, and, and a solid fall, you know, come come end of December, come January, come February, you know, it, the, the decisions will need to be made. Um, but what we're seeing a lot of the time with a lot of the openings and, and expansions that we are seeing are frankly in spaces that used to be breweries, uh, you know, whether it's an existing brewery in the area that is using that as a second location, um, turning a restaurant that closed into a new tap room uh, or just a new brewery sort of seeing that space open up and saying, yes, that'll be perfect for us. Uh, and so, you know, net net, do, does it end up with a, a serious reduction in the number of breweries in the country? It's starting to feel like it might not, which is, you know, to Andy's point is, is really remarkable and is, um, frankly, one of the more, more stunning and fascinating and, you know, in, in a way, beautiful uh, aspects of the, the sort of perseverance or resilience of the industry um, this year, for sure. That's a nice bow on that. Um, <laughs> really? No, I, I mean, I, I've been surprised along with everybody else. Sorry, go ahead, Andy. No, I was just saying, well done, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, and there is... Somebody pointed out recently that it, it wasn't so much about the uh, the number of closures, um, but a lot of folks were laid off early on in the hospitality industry. So breweries stayed open with skeleton stats or just owners, um, but there was certainly an economic impact to a lot of folks in and around the beverage space, especially you know taproom employees um, that couldn't you know to use the word pivot to something else uh, inside of a brewery and um, in, in other places. So there was loss on on, on certain levels um, uh, continuing through this year, and then you know some hiring back. And I know it's tough for people to 
justify uh, work in this in the space these days. But it's um, um, it'll be curious to see what happens in the new year. All right, we'll have more in just a minute. But first, thanks to the companies that help keep the mics hot around here. Athletic Brewing Company's innovative process allows them to brew great tasting craft beer without the alcohol. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. New customers can also get 10% off of their entire order with code BEEREDGE10. Limit one per customer. And NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years to produce some of the world's finest hops. NZ Hops are like no others, unique in their flavors and aromas. Visit nzhops.co.nz to explore more. And now back to my conversation with Carla, Shep, Andy, and Matt. Matt, 2021, how do you think it's going to be remembered beer-wise? Well, down here very much, and Australia is six months uh, you know, behind the, the Northern Hemisphere um, seasonally. So that does affect our beer drinking, and it's very much been um, haze. A- anything hazy, anything juicy, um, uh, but across all alcohol levels, um, that is, is is very much what's driving it. Um, and you know, whether we're going to see a, a snapback towards you know, making beer clear again in uh, twenty two, I don't know. But it's it's been very much uh, the, the the rise of haze down here. One of the other things, uh, so a company rooted in your country has seem seemingly been on a little bit of a buying spree uh, when it comes to us brands um when little lion bought bells earlier this year did anybody mm. in australia really care not really um and, and it, it, it's quite interesting because uh lion here is owned by kieran from japan um, and Lion and our other major brewery, uh, CUB, Carlton United Breweries, basically control 85% of the Australian market between them. Um, it's an incredibly profitable beer market. It's one of the most profitable in the world, as happens when you've got such market concentration. Um, but then also, I, I think a lot of that, whilst Lion is the engine that's purchasing uh U.S. breweries, and, and they bought New Belgium, uh, what, in 2019? Um, just before what year pandemic. was that, Shep? Yeah, it was 2019. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think they're seen as the uh, um, legitimate craft business, but they're essentially buying on behalf of Kieran, which is looking for expansion outside of the the, the, the Japanese market and the, the American market is so big. So, um, yeah, it, it didn't really ruffle too many feathers down here. Um, Lion also bought uh, our largest independent craft brewery, uh, a brewery called Stone and Wood, um, back in September this year, and they were the standard bearers for independence down here. They drove our... Um, it was some of their founders that drove our craft brewers association to become the independent brewers association. They were very much about independence and they sold out to lion back in September. So that had much bigger repercussions than uh, anything that lion was doing uh, overseas. Shep, when sales like this have happened in the past, there was 
I mean, from a, a, stand, a fan standpoint, and I want to talk about that uh, after this, but there's always some sort of hand wringing and some threats of boycotts and things like that. Um, you know, on the on the business side of things, which I know you're a little bit closer to, how did the Bell's News land earlier this year? Oh, it was largely cheered. Um, you know, you you saw the formation of uh, what is uh, will be at the end of this year the third largest producer of U.S. craft beer. Um, or, you know, depending on how you want to put it, beer sold as craft uh, in the U.S. Um, behind AB and Boston Beer. You know, the combination of New Belgium and Bells is about 1.6 million barrels by the end of this year. New Belgium's been the fastest growing craft brewer uh, in the U.S. Uh, for the last two years since they did the deal with Lion. Um, you know, uh it's you know it was it was the clear uh, emergence of a new powerhouse. Um, you know, having having New Belgium as a as a major player was good. Adding bells to that, it was even better. Um, was sort of how that was viewed in 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 the business world, and and really Lion is now um seen as you know anybody paying attention knew that it was sort of coming and that and the appetite that they had and the 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 moves that Kieran wanted to make in the US and in US craft you know Kieran itself remains a, a very small import brand in the US and they saw craft and acquisition in craft as their way to become a major player here um and that's that's sort of how that uh, is is coming to pass, uh, especially because it, they are also very clear that they're not done. Um, you know, they they want more. They want to build that platform larger. Uh, they they want to be number two, if not number one. Um, so you know, that's uh, you know that that's how the sort of the business looks at it. It was it was you know, congrats, Larry, um, on yeah. on being able to do this deal and get out. Uh, Larry and, and Laura. Yeah. Yep. And um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, and it, you really see, you know, this, this larger consolidation of volume among top players, uh, largely funded by, you know, larger brewers who um, are not necessarily U.S. based. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting about it is, you know, of those top three, AB, Boston Beer, and uh, Kieran Lyon in U.S. craft, Kieran's the only one where the majority of their U.S. business is craft now. You know, AB, obviously, the majority of its business isn't in craft, but it is, you know, over 2 million barrels of craft at this point with the addition of Craft Brew Alliance. And Boston Beer, you know, most of their volume is truly and Twisted Tea at this point, the, the vast majority of their volume. Uh, and so the fact that you have this strong number three player uh, that is majority craft, that is mostly focused on craft in the U.S., um, ha is well-funded and does not have the same kind of restrictions on doing big deals uh, to add to that craft volume in the U.S. in the same way that certainly, you know, a player like AB is um, is really interesting. Uh, you know, and Boston Beer doesn't necessarily have limitations on its ability to buy regulatory-wise or, or funding-wise. It's just not something that they do a lot of or, or do super-duper well. You know, they, they bought Dogfish Head, but that's not, you know, worked out quite as seamlessly uh, as, as they initially sort of hoped it would. Um, so yeah, it's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting development in terms of 
uh, how how the top end of craft develops. I also think that it's interesting because we're kind of seeing either through the retirement or sales, the the sort of disappearance of that first generation of founders um, in craft beer. And I actually kind of think that's good for craft beer. I, you know, I think it's long since time for us to almost stop revering these folks as much as we have done over the years. And it's time for kind of that new generation of, of drinkers and thinkers. So, you know, while places like new Belgium now are kind of freed from the idea of, well, we have to kind of push this, this old stodgy, you know, fat tire, uh, beer uphill and try to like make do with what we can. Now they can do whatever ridiculous stuff they're doing, you know, with their their Voodoo Ranger brand, which I, you know, to me looks like a ridiculous thing. But you know what? Is selling like gangbusters for them. And hopefully, you know, they won't destroy beers like too hearted. But I think you know that's a that's a cash cow for them. I, yeah. you know, I I trust that they you know will treat that brand well. But it you know it frees these you know the legacy breweries up to, to kind of be a little bit more responsive to the industry at large. And not really chase trends as much, or or focus on their core brands, but also you know we can kind of as members of the media stop focusing our energy on the on the same ten or fifteen people, uh, and and kind of get out there and explore the stories of the other nine thousand. That's a really interesting point, Andy. I we had been talking about we've been talking about a bunch this fall about the emergence of brands. It's something that Steve mm-hmm. Fetchheimer, who's been the CEO of New Belgium. Uh, for the last few years uh, has spoken about really openly in in, in relation to the uh, growth of the Voodoo Ranger brand, right? Is that they're thinking about brand building in a way that is is different, right? Building, you know, Voodoo Ranger as a brand that is only sort of loosely tied to the brewery brand of New Belgium. Uh, and that that is a pathway forward for craft growth. They really see that. And I, I would anticipate them, you know, Bells was already starting to explore that with Two Hearted and sort of building off, creating this sort of brand family around Two Hearted. Um, we're seeing that with Sierra Nevada and the little things. Uh, and they're, you know, 805 for Firestone has been growing and doing well in a very similar way for, for a number of years at this point. Um but I, I, your point about getting away from some of the founders, it makes like I connect it to that point because it's getting away from brewer and toward brand, which is a, a different thing uh, for for craft or at least the way craft has been uh, for, for a while now, where you, you needed that charismatic brewer, literally an individual that was connected to a brewery, uh, that, that sort of brewery brand was what held it all together. And, and we're seeing some of the attention and some of the focus move away from that. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think that that makes sense, especially for a new generation of drinkers that might not be as interested. And frankly, so many of those founders were you know, white, ma- white males, like lionizing them, just kind of putting them all up on pedestals kind of drove that story for the better part of two decades. And I'll put that out there that I'm certainly as guilty of this as anyone because they are the names and they're the ones people are familiar with. And they're the people who will, you know, readers and listeners will click on or listen to, you know, a lot of things that these folks have to say. But, you know, I'm just I'm excited to kind of transition into just this this new era. Uh, and I think it's fant- it's really interesting, like you said, that brands may be a big part of the future here, that everything used to be so top down. It was like, that is New Belgium and New Belgium is this, this, and this. Uh, whereas now it, it's a little bit more freeing for them uh, from that perspective to kind of 
kind of go in any directions and chase different types of uh, consumers, you know, wherever they may be. Carla, you're a woman of the people. You're out there. You're <laughs> you're you're talking to folks. You're you're drinking at the at the the popular bars. Um, I'm, Bell's only came into Maine in I think 2018. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it, it really resonated with 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 folks there, but um, some of these conversations of like larger breweries and you know are, are the are the more interesting stories for you coming out of the smaller breweries in Maine right now. I mean, I personally kind of grew weary of writing or talking about the, you know, guy left, leaves, you know, X job to make brewery, yay, uh, stories, because that was all there was, you know, so from like 2005 onward, it was like, hi, I'm the founder, I did this thing, look at me. And so I've always tried to find other things to kind of like focus on, but I'm kind of excited about some of the different like models of breweries that are coming about, like, you know, some of the ones that are more, you know, embedded in a community or they have other goals. And like, I think that uh, Andy's right in that we're kind of moving away from that, you know, kind of guy on a pedestal as the brewery's story. Um, I think it's, we're moving into talking a lot more about communities, especially as these little brewers set up in the town that's never had a brewery, you know, that type of thing. We're never going to, I don't think we're ever going to see the kind of like big sized breweries that, you know, came out in the, in the nineties, the Boston beers, the magic hats and whatnot anymore. So it's, it's these smaller, more intricate stories that are, that are kind of, what's driving things but also we've seen the exact same thing in maine where we you know we had obviously we had david geary you know one of the founding founding folks uh you know passed the torch to uh to uh somebody who bought his brewery uh you know we we've got you know you know people who are you know we got new people working at shipyard we've got you know it's just a it is a transition but it's also I'm not sure going back to the age thing again (laughs) like we know and care about these stories of these veterans right but like the new generation doesn't like they're they don't have this history with bells they don't have this history with you know sam adams in the same way that we do yeah so i'm wondering if we you know we're you know seeing all of this and you know doing all this introspection on it but like do they really even care like <laughs> i don't know you well know? and that and that's what i wanted to ask matt because when you're talking about stone and wood as a brewery that was leading this charge for independence Obviously, you're, you're covering the industry and there's going to be people who have opinions about it. But the general consumer that's showing up at the bar, walking into a package store, do they care? That's where this is so fascinating to hear, you know, just that little bit of conversation is the craft beer movement was cast in terms of a revolution. And, you know, for, for the revolution to be meaningful, you've got to remember the tyranny that the revolution was against and the new generation of brewery founders, the new generation of consumers are entering a market that they don't remember where it was just the dominance of one beer style and they are completely spoiled for choice. And that was uh, the, the, the idea of founder versus brand is actually fascinating because there is a risk that the more here, and I, I can't speak more generally than here, the more that we try and keep the narrative around, you know, what is craft beer, what is, um, you know, good beer versus bad beer, what's independence versus others, you're talking to a little walled garden of aging beer drinkers and not to the next generation coming on for whom, you know, a, a seltzer in Australia, RTD, the ready to drink spirits market, 
um, it, it, it's all blurring. Once upon a time, beer was a very, very distinct category, as we've seen fruited sours and, you know, the, the, the very juicy hazies that are, are very similar to a, um, a, a seltzer in one way or you can manipulate a, a ready-to-drink spirit um, with a lot of additives that I don't think that they really are as enmeshed in this idea of craft beer as being a separate category. Um, and that's a, that, that, that's a huge thing over the next couple of years of how you, you, you mark out your business. And I think brand, not founder, is a way to do that. And then you also have the, the challenge of growth where you're the small local craft brew pub that was leading the revolution against what went before that is very, very limiting because you almost have to have that personal relationship with the founder or the venue to, to have it. But a brand can transcend that personal relationship with a brand. And I, so I, I, I think that's where we are going to see brands really come to dominate because a brand can mean so much more to so many more people. Anybody want to jump in on that? I know it's, it's rough. It's, old guys. Yeah, it's 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 rough for <laughs> it's rough for John to have to like ask questions. So um. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, you've hit it there. That you know, the next couple of years are going to be really interesting to see what happens to craft as a separate entity. Is it still going to be a separate entity? But yeah, I do feel old <laughs> because I'm like, <laughs> I yeah, I've been writing about beer since 2007. So you know, I it's you know evolved with me, um, you know. But it's it's kind of hard to put myself in the shoes of somebody 21. You know, it's interesting. But that's that's the exciting thing. Like I'm I'm kind of pumped about you know what's going to happen in this next generation because we have sort of you know these groups of stodgy old beer writers, myself included, not anybody oh, yeah. else on this call, of course. Um, but you know, just just seeing breweries kind of like tiptoe into TikTok and to allow their social media to be run by sort of younger voices. Like I'm here in Boston, I'm watching Night Shift kind of start to go in this route. And Night Shift's always been great at self-promotion and and branding and marketing, um, making you know solid beers. And now they're kind of doing these things on TikTok that you could see them expanding out to a, a different audience as well. And they're kind of this in-between stage where I think you know the founders are probably very early 30s at this point, started the brand, you know, when they were in their early 20s. So I think they're probably feeling a little bit of a disconnect as well because the folks running, you know, the TikTok are not you know, individuals you've seen associated with the brand before, and they're making them present in those in those videos. So, I'm excited to see where things go, and I'm also excited just to kind of see the the future of beer writing and beer communication. Well, Andy Snark aside, um, I will ask another question, uh, and Shep, you you know what's coming because I've asked everybody else the same question, but we've covered non-alcoholic and business and perseverance and um, all that stuff aside when the book is closed on 2021, what do you think it'll be remembered for beer wise? All that stuff aside. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about it. I know exactly. Well, I, and I've been, I did know this was coming and I have been thinking about it and I, <laughs> we didn't uh, even rehearse. Yeah. I know uh, I'm just picking up the cues here. Um, and I am having trouble coming up with a, a, a different answer. You know, the, the, the year in review article that I wrote for our flagship newsletter um, a, a week or so ago um, did center on the notion of resilience and and um, 
folks in the industry fig- just figuring out how to do what they had to do. Um, but underlying that, something, an aspect of the article that was less, um, uh, that was a little bit under the surface, you had to sort of read through the lines to pick up, um, was a, a little bit of a lack of beer. Um, there wasn't a lot of beer. The first thing, the first major topic was, was hard seltzer because of how important that was and, and how, that, how important that category and its uh, ups and downs uh, have been to the, to, to the broader U.S. beer industry. And, and of course, this was focused on total U.S. beer and, and not craft. Um, I think in, in craft, there are some, some other threads to pick up. But, um, you know, I think one of the ways that I think about how beer might be remembered uh, in 2021, when, when we're zooming all the way out and, and looking at the whole category was how little of it there was. Um, and, and that beer, when, when we're talking about the U.S. beer industry, um, did not receive a lot of weight. I think if you sort of totaled up all of the words uh, in published by, by my publisher uh, over the course of the year, it would be a remarkable um, decrease in the share of words written about beer uh, as compared to other things, whether that is hard seltzer or other beyond beer products um, or competitive products like spirits um, and especially RTD cocktails. Um, if I want to zero in on, on craft, uh, I think uh, the, the word, another R word, another RE word reckoning comes to mind. Um, and I think that that, I can apply that to a lot of things, yeah. um, in, including the um, what we were just talking about. Sort of what what are we? Does does this thing that we've been rallying around for so long continue to resonate? Um, I think there are a lot of folks in in the segment that are that are asking those questions of themselves, um, but can't ignore you know the the way that the industry has been reckoning with just patterns of harm, patterns of sexual harm, patterns of sexual discrimination, racial discrimination, um, and and lots of other patterns that have centered attention on the few um, and and not opened up the industry to the many. And that is also encouraging to me. I, you know, obviously it was a headline grabber and a, and a social media um focal point through the middle part of the year uh, that that has faded somewhat. Um, but as I said to somebody, you know, just last night, I think a lot more of the more important and more interesting work is happening now underneath the surface, even if some of the public conversation um, has turned elsewhere. Uh, and that's encouraging to me. And, and, and I would also say that some of that work is not just happening in craft. There are folks uh, way, way, way high up in the beer industry that are thinking about ways that, that beer can be more inclusive um, and equitable and just for um, more, than, more than just the people who are leading it. And I think that that's a good thing. Accountability, I think, is the word that resonates with me for the better part of this year yeah. of, you know, after the Instagram story started after um, uh, people started sharing experiences, there were owners, brewers, people in the beer industry who were held accountable uh, for previous actions and sort of set in motion, um, hopefully better practices going forward and better accountability going forward. Um, Carla, your state had, a, a couple of folks um, called out, and you know, and and, and your region um, as as well. 
do you think what happened, you know, with this reckoning with, with these stories, do, do you think there's forward movement right now? Um, I do. I mean, in, in Maine, it was a little weird because the, the couple that got called out were already not working at these breweries. So like it was, it was, had already been somehow quietly <laughs> internally handled for some of these situations. Um, and I think, but I do think that this, <laughs> I'm going to sound mean when I say this, despite us as women saying this for the last 15 years, uh, the fact that now people are kind of understanding that, yeah, this stuff is actually happening um, in a negative light to, to people or has happened to them in the past. And now that there's actually some level of acknowledgement that that's real and it's not something that that is, you know, just kind of rare or, um, you know, just a one off or maybe there were certain circumstances or all of that is powerful. And I, and I hope that that acknowledgement that this is actually a thing uh, leads to continue, continued accountability and more ways to prevent these type of situations in the future. The, the thing that I'm a little worried about is not, is that there were some instances in which, okay, you know, you called out the baddie, the baddie leaves the company, right? But like, I would love to talk more about like, broadly, how do we make events where everybody's intoxicated more safe? What can you do to, um, you know, to change a tasting room environment to make it, you know, make these situations less likely? What can you do to address if you have an employee you think might be a problem before it becomes a, you know, a social media call out, you know, accountability type situation? And I don't feel like as an industry, we've really had those conversations yet. Like, I would rather talk about like what you can do to make a beer festival or a beer event, a more accessible, inclusive, safe, uh, and positive experience for everybody who might want to come to it. And I think that maybe we'll get there, but this past year was very much like, like you said, a reckoning, um, that maybe these problems are actually there for real. Uh, and that, and that maybe we can in 2022 kind of look forward a little bit more about like, how are we going to, as an industry or just organizers of events or designers of breweries and tasting rooms, really figure out ways to put this into practice other than just removing somebody, you know, when they're a problem. Matt, I know Australia looks to the the U.S. and, and, and other places for, you know, what's on the horizon and, 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 and what's coming up. Um, when all of these conversations were, were were happening and people were, um, you know, coming to terms with stuff or trying to make meaningful, uh, meaningful changes, were, were those were the similar conversations happening in Australia? Very, very much. Um, you know, it, it's one of, it's one of those hard ones. Being a fifty year old white man to sort of stand back and say that it wasn't an issue here um, isn't right. Um, I wasn't directly affected by it, but. Standing back and watching it, there it really raised awareness of the need to have these conversations and to be very aware that the industry is progressing and you know focusing on all of the inclusivity. Um, there, there didn't seem to be the same level of problematic behaviour um, surface, and I'm not sure whether. It, that's because it wasn't happening or it wasn't talked about uh, or, or what it was, but there was certainly a lot of awareness of the need to have these conversations. 
so Carla, as you've been, you know, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to speak as a woman, you know, uh, solely on this, but um, have you, when you said that, you know, for 15 years now, you know, these are conversations that you've been having. um, Have, have you seen that more people have joined the conversation? You know, Matt is a 50 year old white guy, you know, me in my forties, like are, are, are not only beer people, but other folks outside of the industry, are they joining the conversation in a meaningful way? I think they're trying to. Okay. Um, and I'm, and I would rather have them try than not try. Um, so like, there's a lot of fear out there that like, Oh, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I, I would rather sure. have everybody, you know, who could help try to help, you know, whether that's, you know, in a, you know, awkward way or not, or whatever. I am encouraged that it is that there are other people in the industry that are bringing this, this up and not just relying on the women to do it who are in the industry. Cause that's the other thing that, that gets exhausting is that if you're the only one, you know, raising the alarm all the time, then people go, well, it's just you or it's your problem or whatever. And, and it just feels hard. You know, it's hard when nobody else takes up that takes up the reins to also say, no, look, this is not good. And I definitely think that the several years back, me too helped lay the foundation for women to say, look, this is actually happening. Listen up. And now we're at a couple of years later where we're like, okay, now we're all going to agree that we're going to try to fix this. And people are trying mm. to contribute more and just stop relying on the victims to do all the advocating. And I, and I really do appreciate that we're moving away from using basically relying on the victims to relive their trauma every time we want something done. <laughs> so that's, that's a, that's a hard thing to do, you know, like watching the, um, you know, us Olympic team, um, you know, trial where they keep having Gosh. to testify over and over and over again about these horrible things that happened to them. It's like, can't other people testify about how bad this reaction was instead? You know, it's, it's just, I, I do though, I have to say, I have been seeing more voices joining into confronting these things and proactively calling each other out. And I've, been waiting for that for quite some time The even just that simple, not cool, you know, you know, kind of between, you know, peers, like, Hey, yeah. do that. Hey, not cool, bro. Like that is just immeasurably valuable because it means that, you know, I don't have to be the one to, to point out that you're hurting me, but somebody else can go, Oh, that's not, what are you doing? Stop it. You know, like, so it's uh, I, I think there's a lot more acknowledgement of that. And I did, I do think that the, the public reckoning that happened contributed to more people being willing to, you know, raise their voices on this because they may not have been aware that it was going on to that degree. Uh, and now they're mm. looking for it. Yeah. And this doesn't end with 2021. The work continues, obviously. No, right. Yeah. Well beyond even next year and, 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 oh, yeah. and beyond. Um, as I've been asking folks on the, on the show for the, for the last, uh, I, I don't even know how long now. Um, but as we, as we start to, to end our time together uh, on the show, I've been asking folks uh, or saying that uh, April and I were watching the good place for a while uh, during the middle of the year. And there's a, there's a, a whole aspect of the show where you can walk through a green door and be any place, anytime, anywhere um, with, with anybody that you want. And so uh, if green door technology existed on this plane of existence and this conversation comes to an end and you could walk through it into any bar anywhere uh, with anybody that you wanted, Chris Shepard, where would that door lead you? Oh, shoot. <laughs> you got to go last on the, on the I know. Yeah. I get it. I get it. So I get now it, everybody's it. doing the fair first math in their head. 
there is fair. Um, you were very specific about saying which bar. Well, um, it could be a brewery. It could be a. It could be a um, a drinking establishment. How's that? As you try to buy more time by asking me to elaborate on my question. Uh, all good. Um, I uh, would. <sighs> You know, I don't, I, this just bubbled up into my brain and I don't know why, but there's, um, I think uh, maybe because I was talking about it with some friends uh, a week ago, I would walk into um, a pub in Galway uh, that's right on Key Street, uh, right down. Um, it's one of the big pubs in the name of it. I don't, I don't remember, although people who have been to Galway are probably familiar with it, but it's a big bustling pub. And there's um, a corner in the back where a lot of people have written notes and written limericks in particular and, and in their various inebriated states and tucked them into corners. <laughs> um, and I did this once with my family. And I think that if I could walk through a green door and be anywhere, I would be there um, with my family, um, including cousins and uh, my grandmother and um Two and, and my best friends uh, who don't live nearby um, and who live in the city and who uh, live in North Carolina and live in Colorado, who I have not been able to spend very much time with uh, over the last few years. Um, I would be there with them uh, drinking pints. Um, and it would feel a whole lot like the time that I was there in like 2013, uh, writing a limerick and tucking it into a drawer. That's sweet. Andy Crouch. Yes, sir. You could walk through the green door when this ends. Where are you going? What are you drinking? Who are you drinking with? My mind has been focused in recent months on the absence of travel and the, and the inability to go to so many places. And while the city of uh, Bomberg in Germany is, is never far from my mind and is never far from the mind of any way to pander to the audience. Yeah. I'm actually <laughs> going to pivot and go a different direction, which is <laughs> I, I just want to go home. I want to go back to Chicago where I grew up and I want to, I'd probably go to, you know, while hop leaf and dovetail would be on the list of places I would go. I just go to uh, a little bar kind of near where uh, my family you know, lived in, in Chicago called the village tap. And it's just a simple neighborhood bar. It's a place that I would often just stop in for one or two on my own. And Chicago is a, a great city um, in which to just even drink on your own, uh, just to be there by yourself. And, and you can talk to, you know, you can bring a book or a newspaper or you know, you'll talk across the bar to people you have never met before. And there's something, you know, wonderful about that. And I would just love to be there even about this time of year, a little snow on the ground, you know, would be, would be helpful. But I think it's been about three or four years since I've been home and I would love to go and see family and friends and just, you know, reconnect with the, you know, the city that I grew up in um, and around. And that would, you know, that would be, that would be, it may be somewhat simple, but that's, that's really what I, I think my heart is set on. Matt, where's the green door taking you? Well, because it's a green door, uh, clearly there are no carbon emissions. So it's guilt-free travel um, <laughs> because I'm a big believer in um, we should travel, not beer um, because you know, beer is very representative of the place and the culture uh, that you consume it in, whereas wine tends to be about the place that the grapes are grown. So travel is such an important part of beer drinking for me. Um, and I, I think I would walk through the green door uh, 
to the English Garden in uh, Munich and just have, you know, a, a lovely Munich hell uh, hells uh, on a late September afternoon uh, in the sun, um, just enjoying beer the way that it really should be enjoyed with uh, w- w- with good friends. Carla, final word on you. All of yours is to so you. heartwarming. <laughs> Um, so I, uh, what immediately came to mind for me, and this might just be because we were talking about kind of the evolution of the beer industry is that I would love to go back to whatever hotel ballroom I was in, in 2010 for the first ever beer writers conference, where everyone that I had ever met on, you know, the internet was all in one room talking, you know, drinking dogfish head, uh, worldwide stout, getting way too drunk. Cause we didn't know any better and just sharing <laughs> stories about wherever we were from. And if this was really the green door, I'd love to go back and, and, and try to get their predictions about what beer is going to be like in 2021. Uh, and just to see, you know, kind of where we thought the trajectory of the beer industry was going and, and what it turned into, and then spoiler them on, you know, uh, hard seltzers uh, <laughs> and uh, and not your father's root beer. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, I think there's something to be said. Also, we touched on too a little bit about the beer community and and being all apart. You know, we we love these third spaces where we all get together physically, but it's been a long time for a lot of us to get be together physically. And I just, I miss some of my, uh, some of my people that I used to see every year at certain beer events, right? Like, those types of connections, you know, for now, almost going on two years, we really haven't had. And it's just, you know, I just miss that kind of um, excited meeting up with everybody and seeing what's new in their lives. John, you have asked this question many times to to many people in recent months. And yeah. I think I'd like to turn it around for you. The green door is presented to you. Where are you going when you um, pass through the other side? Uh, I think I have answered this at least on somebody else's show who, uh, who who stole my brilliant question and turned it around on me. But my my answer has been a, a, a few times now of going to Motor Lambic, um, having uh, a, a steady stream of Terrace Bulba and hanging out with my dad. Which is one of my fondest drinking memories that if I can... Uh, um, if I could recreate it and build upon it, I, I, I think I'd be very happy. With that, I will say thank you so much, uh, Carla and Chris Shepard and Matt and Andy for, for doing this. We, we miss Melissa Cole uh, and hope to have her back next year. But um, really, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thanks for sharing your expertise and your thoughts and a little bit of your time so so close to what's one of the busiest times of the year. So uh, hope to see you all in person for, for real beers in real life real soon. Yeah. And happy, happy new year to you, John. Yeah. Thanks. Happy new year. Thanks everybody. John. What do you think 2021 is going to be remembered for? You can email me. It's John Hall, J O H N H O L L at beeredge.com, Or you can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at John underscore hall. And a reminder that you can check out the beer edge on all of the social media channels at the beer edge. Also join the smoked beer conversation with other enthusiasts on the, this week in round beer, Facebook page, or we're on Instagram and Twitter at T W Beer. 
Thanks as always to the folks who help keep the mics hot around here, including Athletic Brewing Company. Their innovative process allows them to brew great tasting craft beer without the alcohol. From IPAs to stouts to gold nails and more, they offer a full selection of beers starting at only 50 calories. Now you can keep your head clear and enjoy the refreshing taste of beer anytime, anywhere. Place an order today at athleticbrewing.com and get free shipping on two six-packs or more. New customers can also get 10% off of their entire order with code BEEREDGE10, limit one per customer. And we're also brought to you by NZ Hops, a cooperative of master growers whose legend and cultivars have been crafted for over 150 years with creativity and passion to produce some of the world's finest hops. With a dedicated hop breeding program and farming knowledge handed down through the generations, the current day master growers proudly provide 18 unique New Zealand hop varieties to the world. Visit nzhops.co.nz or find them on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at nzhopsltd to learn more. A reminder, go check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast drops on the 15th of every month. Nate Weber, he does our theme music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. Merry Christmas. 